My name is Brian Weens, and I'm here this morning with my wife, Amy, and three of my daughters. Yes, uh, three, I counted right. And the fourth is actually on the grade 12 uh, retreat with Chandra uh, that Chandra and uh, Spencer have organized. So that's really cool. We need to continue to remember them in our prayers. So uh, we started in this process with Forest Grove Community Church in the gathering about uh, three or four months ago. Uh, I uh, submitted an a resume to uh, Dale and the search team at the gathering, and then uh, submitted some written work. And then based on that, they invited us for an interview. So we drove down, my wife Amy and I drove down in June, I think. It was June 22nd or something, and we had a, an interview with the search team. And then, uh, based on that, in about almost two months later, we came down and I spent a day and a half with the staff team here and with the search team from the gathering and with your council. And then that, uh, both parties were in agreement that we needed to proceed. So then on, I think it was the 28th of August, we candidated on a Sunday morning at the gathering and uh, are, were just delighted to receive a call to come and serve that community. And so I started about a week and a half ago, almost two weeks ago, and we'll be joining with them in worship uh, in a couple of weeks. So just delighted to be here and looking forward to getting to know some of you. Won't be around this particular community as much because we'll be over there, but uh, trust that we will have opportunity to get to know each other a little bit. So I'd really appreciate your prayers. Uh, It occurred to me on the way this morning as I was driving here that uh, coming and joining a congregation is a bit like being on the the merge ramp on a freeway. You don't want to come in too fast and you don't want to come in too slow. Uh, So we are shoulder-checking. We want to listen for how God's at work in the community. We want to get a sense of what he's doing. We want to get to know the people there. And we also want to bring a sense of future direction and leadership to that situation. So really value your prayers. This is a big transition for this community. The gathering, as you know, Don and Una planted that church. They're dearly loved. And one of the reasons why uh, Dale is kind of slowing the process down a little bit is to give them an opportunity to say goodbye and to grieve and for God to plant in their hearts some expectation of uh, us coming and serving them. So we're excited about that. So a little bit about me. I'm not going to share a lot because they told me that I have about half an hour and then there's possibly this stage is going to open up and drop me out of sight. So I, uh, I'm going to try to stick to that. So I was born in Carrot River. How many of you have ever been to Carrot River? Wow, a lot of you. Uh, it's kind of funny because... Uh, Bruce, Pastor Bruce, your Pastor Bruce, took me out for lunch, and on the way back, we were talking a little bit, and, and he said, well, where are you born? Or I asked him where you were born, and he said, Carrot River. And uh, he said, really? So Bruce, was, Bruce and I were born in the same hospital in Carrot River. He's older than me, by the way. And uh, then he uh, had a conversation with staff, and Dolores... I don't know if Dolores is here this morning, but uh, pastor of Care, she's back there. I found out that Dolores babysat me in Carrot River when I was like two years old. So I'm not surprised that a lot of you are from Carrot River too. Uh, I've never been back, by the way. My parents left there in 1969, and we've actually never gone back and looked at the town. So I don't know why. My mom and dad are here this morning. They've lived in Larange ever since. I don't know why they never took us back. Actually, it wasn't their fault. I've never gone back myself. One of these days I need to. So we're in the midst of this series, uh, the Alpha series, and uh, it's the fourth week. This series is a global phenomena that's been around for over a decade, and literally thousands of people around the world have come to faith in Christ through this series. It's been something that God has used mightily, and we're in our fourth week of this series. As Brad said, it's 
being shared in many different contexts around our city and in this church. So it's fitting that both at the gathering and in this congregation, we're also uh, working our way through those series. So uh, work with me here. We're in week four. Can anybody remember what week one was? Who is Jesus? That was week two. Pardon me? Is there more to life than this? Right on. Week three, that was last week. Why did Christ die? That's right. And today, we're moving into the step four, or question number four, which is, how can I have faith? Which involves both the question, why and how can I come to faith in Christ? So, big questions that we're working through together, and we want to do that today, this morning. Let me just pray for us, and then we're going to continue. Dear Lord, I just want to thank you for today, and... Jesus, we just want to pause. We've already had the opportunity to worship you. Lord, we live in a dry and thirsty land where there is no water. We live in a country with a, where we experience huge prosperity. And yet, Lord, often we find ourselves thirsty in our souls and we realize that the only thing that can satisfy is you. And so, Lord, you know each of our hearts this morning. You know what we're wrestling with. You know our joys, our disappointments. You know the things that we're falling in love with. Lord, one word from you, one glimpse of you, Jesus, sets our lives back on the track of life. And we need to hear from you again and again. And so, Lord, this morning, we just invite you to speak to each one of us. Lord, we want to encounter you. We want to hear from you. Open our hearts, Lord, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I've become aware these last few years, uh, increasingly, that we live in a world that's spiritually disorienting and confusing. It's hard to know what's up, and it's hard to know what's down. A while ago, I was sitting with a friend, and we were talking about spiritual things. And this friend is a follower of Jesus, but uh, asks deep questions and and, uh, is wrestling with matters of faith. And I I was just expressing some of my own story and some of my own struggles. And at one point, he said to me, I wish I had faith like that. As he'd listened to himself and as he listened to me, in that moment, he recognized in his own heart a longing for a certainty and a confidence about matters of faith and spirituality that he didn't have. There was no disrespect or cynicism in his comment. He just recognized a heart cry for faith. I was listening to the Alpha Talk for this week and I was struck by the phrase, everyone is searching for something real. When it comes to the big questions of life, All of us long to have solid ground to stand on. And yet, even in the face of that cry of our hearts, as we think about the world in which we live, there's increasing cynicism and an enormous number of options for us as we think about finding a place that's solid on which to stand. Let me just give you two big picture examples of how things are happening in our world that can increase our skepticism. And I do this because... And I'm trying to, re- trying to represent not just us as followers of Jesus or as a Christian community, but what our culture is wrestling with as they think about what can they put their faith in that's enduring and hopeful and sure. So these are big picture examples. The first one is this. Science has failed as a source of ultimate truth and hope for our world. Science has failed as a source of ultimate truth and hope for our world. We're not talking about science, science's ability to help us understand our world. It has done that in many ways. But in terms of its capacity to provide us with something that endures, it's not working. All you have to do is listen to the news. Even this week, 
Aleppo is the largest city in Syria. It's bigger than Damascus. And right now, there's a quarter of a million women and children and civilians that are being bombed relentlessly by all the different factions that are fighting within Syria. And behind those factions are the world powers. Russia and the United States are fueling, uh, providing uh, arms and support for both sides. Men, women, and children. Our capacity to understand and control our world as human beings has bettered our lives in many ways, but it has not produced an enduring hope for the future. In fact, one could argue that our increase in science and technology and understanding of our world is increasing or accelerating our, our uh, headlong rush into destruction. So first of all, science has failed us as a source of hope for humanity. Secondly, and this one may surprise you a bit and make you a little more uncomfortable, religion has also failed to give humanity an enduring hope for the future. All you do, have to do again is watch the news. Same context. We have different religious factions fighting and killing people in order to promote their particular worldview. It seems to me that it's no wonder that people are stepping back, looking at what's happening, and saying that the world would be a better place if we didn't have religion. Broxy Cavi, pastor of People's Church in Toronto, an Anabaptist community, shares these, these thoughts in his book, The End of Religion. I'm not talking about the Christian religion versus all other religions. Take one look at church history and you'll see that Christianity needs to hear the message of Jesus as much or more than most religions. Let me give you a painful Saskatchewan example that illustrates this. I worked for the last three years in North Central Regina, working with an organization called AIDS Program South Saskatchewan, and I worked a lot with Aboriginal people. And I remember on one particular occasion sitting with a woman who I really respected, a loving mom, a loving grandmother, and I just, it was kind of the end of the day, and I had opportunity just to hear a little bit of her story. And she shared with me some of her story as a young Aboriginal girl in residential school right here in Saskatchewan. She would be just a bit older than me. She was just a child, and uh, she was entrusted to this school. It was run by a religious organization, and she recalls having trouble wetting her bed. And was forced to kneel for hours on the hard floor beside her bed because of that problem. And she told me other things also that were done that I'm not going to mention this morning that were deeply traumatizing to her as a young girl. While being respectful of my faith, she knew I'd come from, that I'd been a pastor in, a, in the past, she was deeply and is deeply skeptical of the church and its message. Who wouldn't be? After I listened to her story, I was saddened by what she had experienced, and I felt I needed to respond somehow in a text, uh, respond somehow, so I sent her this text. Thank you for sharing some of your story with me. I have a deeper and more personal understanding of some of the impacts of the residential school movement on your life and on Aboriginal people generally. I'm sorry that you had to experience that trauma. As I walked home that day, I was confronted again with the question, how can someone find faith when the church itself that's been entrusted with that message betrays the message. My intention here isn't to create skepticism, but rather to help all of us pause and recognize the context in which people around us are undergoing this, this search that we're all on to find meaning and hope in the world. And if you've lived in Saskatchewan for a while, even over the last decade, and I've noticed this right on the street where I lived in Regina, we've undergone a, a fairly radical demographic or cultural transformation. 
Saskatchewan, and I've, I grew, grew up in Saskatchewan, used to be fairly homogenous. It's not anymore. People are coming to us from all over the world. And so we're now in, and I think this is a good thing. So my children, my girls, went to one of the largest comprehensive, the largest comprehensive uh, high school, or one of the largest in Regina, and just multicultural. Many of their friends come from different faiths all around the world. And so in the past, those were distant realities. Now they're right in front of us. And people are trying to sort out what's really real. What can I believe in? What can I put my confidence in? How can we know what is really real and how can we enter into a life of faith? A young man was interviewed, I'm assuming on the streets of London, this was by the Alpha team, and he was asked what he thought of faith. And his response was, I don't ask big life questions, they're too hard to answer. When's the last time you've allowed yourself to to doubt your own faith and to think, to consider what other faiths are offering in the world? It's scary even to go there. So how can I find faith? In the midst of all these choices and the religious confusion of our day, where can I find solid hope? The scripture says, how can they, that's us people, call on one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one whom they have not heard? And then it says, faith comes from hearing and hearing from the message of Christ. So a Christian is a Christian, a follower of Jesus, someone who has come to know Jesus, hear some of his teaching, and is beginning to put their faith in him and follow him. So that means that you and I have the opportunity to grow in faith as we hear the teaching of Jesus, and then we decide for ourselves how we're going to respond to him. I've been reading these last couple of months in the book of Acts, and have just been really challenged and encouraged and a bit intimidated by the life of Paul. And I want to tell you a little bit about his life this morning. I want to share his story of faith, and then step back and talk a little bit about how that relates to us. So Paul was raised and trained in the ways of Judaism. You could probably say that Paul was a zealot, although we don't use that word anymore. In our culture now, in our world culture, we use the term radicalization. And so one of the big concerns right, in, right now in Canada and the United States and Europe is the radicalization of Canadians who go over and engage with uh, what's going on with ISIS and other parts of the world. Paul had been radicalized. He was sold out to his Jewish religion, he was suppo- and he was opposed to anything and anyone that didn't support his brand of Judaism. Sounds a bit familiar, doesn't it? The radicalization of re- religion is nothing new in our world. So after Christ had died, Paul would have been alive when Christ was alive. After Christ had died and the church began to grow in Jerusalem, Paul, who was of the, of the sect of the Pharisees, and uh, other religious Jews at that point, were threatened by the rise of Christianity. And Paul, the Bible tells us that Paul was like a wild animal. And he began going from house to house, dragging off and imprisoning men and women who were followers of Jesus. And we can see in the story of Paul why religion can be such a destructive force in the world. Because religion gives people the divine right to do whatever they want to do to protect and preserve their particular sect. So Paul genuinely thought he was doing God's will, and he was dragging men and women off to prison with the blessing of the chief priest. And Acts 9, 2 to 19 tells a story. I'd encourage you just to listen. I'm just going to share with you a little bit of that story, and then I'm going to get you to turn to 2 Corinthians. Let me just find this myself. So Acts 9. So this is Paul. He's on his way to Damascus. 
interesting. We seem to be talking about Syria a lot. Damascus, of course, is the capital of Syria where all the trouble is happening right now. He was on his way to Damascus because he was going to see if there were any followers of the way there and he wanted to drag them off to prison. And on his way, he's confronted by a bright light and a voice from heaven says, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. And so as the story goes, Paul lost his sight for three days. He didn't eat or drink. The Holy Spirit called a man named Ananias to go and pray for Saul. And uh, through that, Saul is called, encounters, Saul is called to preach and teach and take the good news of Jesus to the Roman world. And he's told by the Lord, I will show you how much you must suffer for my name. And so Paul is transformed from this hate-filled, zealous, radical religious man to a follower of Jesus and someone who loves people deeply. And over the coming decade, he sacrifices much and encounters all kinds of persecution, and yet he doesn't stop because he's so filled with this compelling message of love that he's encountered in Jesus. So now take your Bibles and turn to 2 Corinthians. I want to just uh, read... A touch from 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 14 and following. So this is, Corinth was one of the churches that Paul had planted, and now years later he's writing back to Corinth and he's telling them why he does what he does. There's some conflict and he's uh, defending himself as an apostle and reveals something of his testimony to us. And we just want to read that together. Listen to his heart. Verse 14, for Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Paul never recovered from his amazement that God took him, the persecutor of Christ, and made him an ambassador for Christ. Paul saw himself even to the end of his days as chief among sinners. And yet, God took him and made him a mouthpiece for sharing the gospel with the Roman world. Let me just focus on a couple of thoughts that come out of here that help us understand this message that Paul shared. Notice that word love, that the gospel took Paul from being filled with hate and fear to being motivated by love. And so he said to these Corinthians, love compels us. We do what we do because of love. He's compelled to love. This is the wonder of the gospel, and we see it in One way of thinking about it is to think of the word representative. So in Christ, Christ becomes our representative. So what he did on the cross wasn't just so that we could be forgiven of our sin. It's so that 
we could also be delivered from our sinfulness. So Christ died in our place for our sin. He died in our place for our sinfulness. And through that act, God is reconciling to himself all of creation, including humanity. And so we read in Romans that all creation groans, waiting for the sons of God to be revealed. And so Paul's life was swept up in this greater purpose of God. So the gospel for Paul wasn't just that God forgave him of his terrible past. The gospel for Paul is that he also was pulled into living for something that was greater than himself. He said, one died for all, so that all died in him, so that we could no longer live for ourselves, but for Christ. And so Paul's life is a testimony of that radical transformation that happens. Amazing stuff. So Paul is not only convinced that he's loved, but he's also convinced that he's called. So have you ever talked with someone who expresses their faith like Paul does in such amazing terms, and it's almost a bit annoying because they, they're speaking like it's true, like it's absolutely true and that it applies to everybody? You ever had those conversations? Of course, we're sometimes on the, on the giving end of those conversations, but... I know I've been on those end of, the con- end of those kind of conversations. And my question is, well, and maybe you want to ask this of Paul. Okay, Paul, I, I hear your certainty. I see the evidence of it in your life, but I haven't shared your experience. I don't have your faith. Your faith was built on these encounters you had with Jesus, but I haven't had those encounters. I admire your faith, but I don't have it. How can I find a faith like the faith that you have? It's very important to remember that people, even like Paul, who who is an amazing example of Christian faith, his faith was both an event and a journey. And people come to faith in many different ways. For some people, as they hear the stories of others, faith grows in them. For other people, they have these kind of encounters with Jesus where the Lord speaks to them in very special ways and awakens within them new understanding of who he is and what his call is on their life. And for many people, they're drawn to the scriptures and they start reading them. And through the written, printed word, they encounter the living word and they come to know Jesus and start responding to him step by step. I'm reminded of the story of Nicodemus, a man who came to Jesus. He was a religious teacher, and he understood that Jesus, in some way, was sent from God, and he wanted to experience, he wanted some assurance that he had eternal life. And uh, Jesus said to him, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born again. And Nicodemus said, how can this be? And Jesus said, he must be born of the Spirit. The Spirit blows where it wishes. It's like the wind. You don't know where it comes from or where it's going. It's mysterious. You can't control it. And faith is a bit like that. Faith, it grows in us as we respond to the wind of God's Spirit as it, as it blows through our lives in very special and unique ways. I can remember times of decision in my own life, uh, several times where I was wrestling with, the, the central question of my life was, does God care for me? Can I trust God? And I was making huge decisions that would affect my future. I can remember twice... Once or twice on LaRange Lake where I grew up, being, I'd, go out, I'd go out at night and walk on the lake and you could see the heavens and the stars. I remember another time here in Saskatoon, I would have been 19, same thing, out in the dead of winter. 
I could see the stars and the, the sky. And being out there, God whispered to me. I didn't hear it with my ears, but I heard God saying to me and showing me, Brian, I made all this. I control all this. You can trust me. And as I heard that witness from God, I was able to respond in faith, and my faith was strengthened as a result. Again, you could say to me, Brian, you can't prove to me that that was God speaking to you. And you're absolutely right. You can't prove that God exists, and you can't prove that God doesn't exist. You just can't. This is where faith comes in. I was encouraged this week by uh, a book written by Brian McLaren, and Brian McLaren has uh, experienced some bad press of late, and I don't want to comment on that, but uh, he, he's done a lot of writing over the last 20 years that's helped a lot of people, particularly young postmodern people. He describes faith like this. He says, faith is a step beyond knowledge, not a step beneath knowledge. So what he means is that in our normal way of thinking, it only takes us so far. We use our, our senses to understand the physical world around us, but there's another whole dimension out there that goes beyond our physical senses that's just as real. And faith allows us to apprehend and step into that dimension. The New Testament describes faith this way. Now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. Faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. Faith is coming to that place where we put our confidence and our trust in something that we don't see with our physical eyes. So how can I have faith? How can you have faith? It seems to me that the answer to that question is we, have, we can grow in faith as we respond to Jesus and his words to us, his testimony to our lives. If you have your Bibles, just turn with me, keep your hands in 2 Corinthians and turn to uh, John 1, Verse 12. I want you to see this with your own eyes. These are very familiar verses. For some of you, they might not be familiar, and I would like you to see them. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. John 1, and we're going to read verses 12 and 13. This is speaking about Jesus. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, but born of God. That born above language is another way of talking about the new creation language that Paul uses in 2 Corinthians. So this is a personal way of describing how God is pulling us into this new creation in Christ. As we put our faith in him, we're pulled into this living, interactive relationship with God in which we can know that we're his children and we can live confidently as his children. I'm reminded of the story of uh, the woman who was hemorrhaging. Maybe some of you know that story. Some of you might not. Uh, This woman had been bleeding for many years, had exhausted all of her resources, and had not found healing. She must have heard something about Jesus from other people, from neighbors, from friends. Jesus was itinerant. He was going from town to town. Jesus came to her town, and we're told the crowds were just pressing around her. And she pushed her way through those crowds. And all she did was reach out her hand and touch his garment. And the power of God flowed through Jesus. And she was healed. 
Jesus stopped, recognized that someone had reached out to him in faith, and said, who touched me? And of course, the question to the disciples was ludicrous, because there was, the people were all gathered around Jesus. And then he said to her, your faith has healed you. So faith isn't about having, knowing, having it all figured out. Faith is about responding to Jesus with what he has shown you at this point in time. That woman did not have it all figured out. She just knew she needed help, and so she reached out to Jesus. There's one more thought I want to share from 2 Corinthians 5, just in closing. And this is, a, this is a common objection that people have to faith in Christ, and something that many of us who are believers continue to struggle with. And the objection is this. I'm not good enough, and I'll never be good enough. Look, at, look with me at... 2 Corinthians 5, 21. It says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Nicky Gumbel describes this as the great exchange. So you could take, on one hand, the weight, I'll, I'll express this personally, the weight of all that I've done and all that I am before a holy God. And now you have to remember that the standard here isn't you. Maybe I might do okay in comparison to you. Maybe you might do better than me in terms of how I've done morally. The standard is Jesus, who walked a perfectly righteous life of purity before the Father. And so what God does in Christ is he takes the weight of all humanity's sin and our collective sinfulness and alienation from God and all the consequences of that, and he puts it on Jesus. The sinless one who is qualified to carry the sin of the world. He puts it on him and he invites us in freedom into a relationship with him as those that are completely forgiven and wholly restored. It's too good to be true. It is. That's one of the things that's hard about the gospel. It is just too good to be true. That's the great exchange. So as you listen today, and maybe you... Maybe even today you're hearing Jesus inviting you into, to put your faith in him, maybe for the first time, or to be renewed in your faith. And right in the corner of your ear, you hear, or deep in your heart, you, you can see and, and remember some of the stuff that you've done. You know, none of that matters. Your sin cannot keep you from Jesus. Jesus shed real blood for real sin. My sin is very real, but Jesus forgives me. And he wants to do the same with you and call you into this life of sacrificial service. So we need to close. So how can I have faith? How can you have faith? By responding to Jesus today. Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He was speaking to religious people. He wanted them to know the joy and freedom of a relationship with him. Jesus says, come to me, Anyone who is thirsty, he who believes in me, as the scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within you. And by this he meant the spirit who those who believed in him were later to receive. So Jesus wants to fill you up with spiritual life by connecting you again to the Father. So I just want to stop for a moment and uh, just close by asking you some questions. How is Jesus speaking to you today? Is Jesus inviting you to renew your faith and commitment to him? To be, to, 
to love him first again so that you can be an effective ambassador for him. For some of us, we've been going to church and following Jesus for a long time, and we've lost our first love. And we don't really care too much about what's going on in the world around us. And Jesus invites us to repent of that and seek first his kingdom and begin to love the people around us and share Christ with them the way Paul did. Or maybe Jesus is inviting you to take a step of faith toward him today and to trust him with your life for the first time. I invite you to do that. And I'm going to hang out after the service. I'd love to talk with you about that and uh, hear more of your story. Let me just pray with you. Lord Jesus, we, uh, we're hearing your invitation to follow you. Discipleship is this ongoing process of hearing from you, believing in you, and following you, Lord. And Help each one of us to respond to what you're saying today. And Lord, for those that are here that are maybe have never put their faith in you, have never committed their life to you, Jesus, grant them all that they need to take that step. We pray this in your name. Amen.